Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we've got a great guest. She is a teacher. She is a passionate animal rights activist. And she is a legendary music publicist. When you find out some of the bands and musicians she's worked with, you'll be blown away. This individual came in my life recently, and I'm so thankful. It's been a great gift to know her and meet her this year. I consider her a good friend, and I also consider her a teacher that I'm going to learn a lot from in PR. I um, I made a mistake a couple years ago in business, and because of this mistake, which wasn't intentional, there was a lot of guilt that I was carrying around, and it was just pretty much eating me alive. And in a phone call with the, with our featured guest, she gave me some advice, simple, great advice. I took it to a T. And the situation got resolved. And in one day, I pretty much felt like I lost 10 pounds. And I did until I went to the refrigerator that night five different times to celebrate losing the weight that I had from carrying the guilt around. But anyway, that's another story. Let us begin tonight's program with our amazing guest. Our guest today is Miss Nancy B. Sale, founder Yay. of VQPR LLC founder of the Fur and Feather Animal Sanctuary. We can learn more about Michelle by going to her website at furfeathered.org, vqpr.com, rockagainstms.com. Michelle, welcome welcome to the program. It's a great pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay! Excellent. So some people get in PR, I guess because they're inspired, because something happens, and I was reading a little background. Apparently, you were in two different car accidents, and you got into PR. Can you please talk about your background? I thought the way you start your career off is very fascinating. Oh. <laughs> well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? So um, weird. I don't I know if it's was... weird. I have to say it's, it's, it's interesting, and uh, it makes for an interesting, fantastic autobiography. <laughs> well, why, thank you. It's okay. um. So I... Yeah, I I've been in the music industry for a long time and and um oh gosh, uh, I was actually working uh at that current moment I was preparing for the WWF. So we we're talking back in 2000. And um You were preparing? Did, Are you prepare like the time of being a competitor? Yep. Get out of here. Who I, I was a hoe for the Godfather. And then they wanted me to um, then they wanted me to submit a reel, and I said, "Well, <clears throat> give me a few months so I could even be better, you know, physically." And and uh, they said, "Sure." And then by December third of two thousand, I was hit by a truck. And when I say that, I wasn't walking. It's just I was at a stoplight. I, at that time, I had a Carrera, um, and, and uh, they, it was a blonde in a Ford SUV, and she used me to stop. Like, there was no skidding. There was nothing. Wow. She just used, used me to stop. I wonder if she would ever consider using a brake. That's what they usually I know. It's, for. It's kind of kind of weird, right? Yeah. So. Well, it's just interesting. I mean, so, just. So then about a year and a half later, it actually happened again. Um, I had bought then a four-door Mercedes. It was older, you know, so it was a, it was an 89 at, at that time, and it was like a tank. So it's because it was a real Mercedes. It was very heavy. I thought four-door, bigger, better. But, no, I got hit, again, the exact same way at a stoplight by a blonde in a, yet a bigger Ford SUV. That is incredible. And, right? Crazy. But, so, and that lady was just like, oh, my God, I was looking at the pink houses, and my husband and I, we are um, contractors, and saw the pink houses, and I couldn't believe anybody would paint their house pink, and she's going on and on, and she goes, I'd like to pay you, and I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but I'm actually on my way to my neurologist. <laughs> he just happened to catch me at a really great time, but what she had done then um, is blown the discs out of my neck, and, Jeez. and, um, so I had to be repaired, and so hence the second lawsuit uh, ventured on, and it was interesting um, <clears throat> um, because then I, I, I went to mediation, and my attorney was late, and it was just me and the other side and then the mediator, and the mediator 
kind of, you know, everybody was just kind of chatting, and I was told if he was late not to talk to anybody really. And But when I walked in, I also had a neck brace because I just had spine surgery. So they were all like, uh, you know, oh, my God. And I couldn't tell him about it until he got there. So the the, the mediator, he reminded me of Jimmy Stewart, very, you know, well put together, very tall, lanky, white-haired. And he reaches over, and he kind of taps my arm. He says, so do you think the universe is telling you something? <laughs> I said, really? No, no, no crap. Uh, because – couldn't they have just blown up my, you know, my computer? That would have slowed me down because he said, yeah, you're living a fast life. That's just like a fast life, like you're drinking and partying fast life because you're just always so busy and you're not taking any time to breathe. And he says, so they're stopping you. And I said, well, they could have halted me with the computer. And he said, no, because you'll replace the computer. This is actually creating you to stop. And, and so, um, I was like, well, okay, there we there we have it. And he didn't know at that time that that's my language anyways. I, I call it airy-fairy just because, well, why not make it sound fun? Um, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm all about universe and, and all these well, other cool things and manifesting and whatever. So with that said, he um, this whole thing changed my life, like in a matter of moments. And after he had said that, um, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't walk and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sit and the, the pain was crazy. And I, um, so I decided to, I mean, I could walk, I couldn't run. I couldn't, uh, you know, I thought, Oh, I'll be a jacuzzi tester or I don't know. <laughs> what the hell I could do. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty I good. could just sleep. Yeah. Sleeping is good. Yeah. So, um, I woke up one day and um, I was living with my boyfriend and he's a successful musician and, I, and he also does um, websites. And I said, make me a website. I'm going to be a publicist. And there, there was no rhyme or reason why. It's just, I know how to do it. I just had never done it. And um, my background in, in college and university is, you know, physiology, anthropology and forensic or forensic anthropology and anatomy and uh, advertising, but I'd never thought I'd be a publicist. So he put it together and I asked a few people to be my, you know, can you, can you be my client? I know you don't have a publicist and you have a name, enough of a name for me to be credible and, um, and I'll help you. And so that's how it started. And uh Yeah. Well, that was before, it. Before we go into some of your clients and what you've done, when you, if you're looking at those two accidents that you had that are very similar, how was your life? What do you think that you were doing that pulled those two experiences into your life both times? What I mean, if you've reflected on this, what do you think you were initially uh, not doing correctly or, or was were trying to change? You know, at that time, I really didn't, um, you know, I didn't understand. And it was always funny because after the first one, I was a bit nervous about getting hit again. I was a little, I'd watch people. They, they'd they actually swerve into me. I was like, what is going on? So nuts. And um, uh, what was going on for that? I, I just, no, I was just wondering whatever it is, if you're going, if you're trying to do something and you're just not getting there, stop. If you're You're not supposed to be there. So whatever it is, and I cannot remember because it's now been so many years, it just was time to stop and, you know, do a different direction. And that's what I really think all of this was about because I became very, and I know people say blessed and all these other good fancy words, but I was just like so lucky that, you know, I just just said, hey, I'm a publicist. And people were like, oh, can I hire you? You know, and I got I got some of the biggest rock stars, and and uh, I got to pick and choose, and I just um, yeah, it's been a really crazy well, wild ride. Before we go into some of those rock stars, and they are pretty big. When you, if you, is there any possibility if you think back and visualize for one minute, visualize the person who first hit you, visualize yep. the person, the second person who hit, who hit you. Is there anything from your intuition or energy reading about those two people that's very similar? And also, 
if you can think about that and latch onto that, have you come across other people with a similar energy resonance that you've come in contact with beyond those two accidents that you've either had a confrontation or a peaceful uh, resolution with? Not, <clears throat> not really, because I, I, it was these two women who were again both blondes, both Ford SUVs, and both not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are pretty interesting, and I really haven't. I don't think I've come across somebody with that similar Energy. deal. I mean, like they were very sorry. Like, they were very, you know, uh, like, oh, my gosh, you know. And, of course, when you hit somebody, like, the way they did. And both, again, they both hit me. And you know what's really interesting and what was interesting about being hit? I'm a biker, right, Harley? Mm -hmm. And so I have a habit of scanning the mirrors and even turning to look back. And in both the cases, I did that because I'm at a stoplight and I I scan because when you're on your bike, um, you have a habit of making sure whoever's coming up behind you is stopping. So, but you're in a car, so you're not quite as guarded. But I I remember looking both all three mirrors, both sides, in the rear view, nothing. And and in the in the Porsche, I actually looked out the back window because I was still sitting. It was um, kind of crowded on sunset. And nothing was there. And as soon as I turned my head forward both times, these women seemed to have been able to hit me at full speed without me even seeing them coming. There was nothing behind me till the prior light. So it was, I, I always wondered, where the hell did they come from? <laughs> you know, that's like well, they came out of nowhere. It was very nuts. And now, uh, does this Has this actually been able to put you on bigger guard for your clients and for other aspects of your life, do you actually think that because of these two experiences happen that you're kind of more aware, much more vigilant about your surroundings and have a quicker understanding about your surroundings? Well, I've always been, <clears throat> excuse me, good about my surroundings because I pay attention to everything I have since, um, since I was two. I pay attention to everything. I could go into a bathroom and I could tell you what was wrong with that bathroom or where the where a small piece of um, something was missing, whatever, you know, it, it could be wallpaper. Um, so I've always had that, um, that thing. So it didn't make me any more or less. I just, um, found that particular situation odd. Um, I'm very, yeah, I'm very diligent in my surroundings no matter what. And, and, uh, seeing who's around me. I make note of <laughs> I make note of license plates if I think they're parked too close close to my car. I mean, I just not that I'm a nut or anything. I guess it sounds kind of nuts, but I'm just hypersensitive to I, looking around everything. I couldn't believe it. Now, as far as some of the rock stars you work with, I mean, read that you're one of the first people to start off with is Nick Menza from Megadeth, and oh yeah, you've also worked with Rob Zombie, Steve I, Black Label, Mr. Big, Les Claypool. I mean. Of all the people, how did you go from just saying I want to go into PR and to working with some of the, the biggest music labels in the world? How, how does that happen? What is it about you that you think allowed you to manifest uh, this great success in a relatively uh, shorter period of time than most people will come to expect? I mean, you, you pulled this off and you know, some people probably work a lifetime for this. Because I'm so cool. No. <laughs> cool. Actually, you know, I don't know. I um, I believe that when you, um, like how I started, I asked people, you know, just a few people, like Lizzie Borden was one. I asked, um, I forgot who the other one was. But when you walk in and you're like, hey, I'm a publicist, that's what I did. And I remember also I was a writer. I was writing for uh, – it was either Wee Magazine or Hustler. I was the music editor for Hustler, oddly. Yes. Oh, really? There was a legitimate section of Hustler that was given to me by Larry. But what what I did was is I was talking to the label for a different uh, – it was Spitfire Records, and I was talking to them for Sebastian Bach. And I said, you know, I'm actually a publicist. That's just – that's what you do. Like, you say what you're going to be. And I did. And so he says, you are. 
And I said, yeah. He goes, how'd you like Zach Wild? And I was like, sure. Like, and inside I'm going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> dancing. <laughs> I was like, woohoo. So I knew Zach would be the next step. What I had was um, I had, like, all – I became, like, the queen of the 80s bands, 80s, 90s. You know, uh, Who's some of the Great bands White, you... Warrant, and all that. Oh, you, you worked with Warrant? Yep. And, uh, I still what... actually make their merchandise. Wow. And uh, what are some of the other bands you work with? Um, for, from the 80s, 90s? Yep. Um, Slaughter, um, gosh, uh, L.A. Guns. Uh, <clears throat> what's another one? Um, War, oh, Winger. War, Winger, Slaughter, Great White. Um, God, there's like so many. Keel. Um, God, yeah, I've got, I had a whole slew. So. I was the queen. And then Zach took me into another direction. What direction Which is that? would be, well, um, higher profile. I mean, he's with Ozzy, and I knew Zach forever. But um, as a publicist, um, you know, it was different. So that was 2003. And then I got uh, Shrapnel Records as a client. And Shrapnel Records is every guitar player you can imagine. So I had – that's where I got um, Billy Sheehan and um, – God, Greg Howe, and just all these magnificent players that um, you see still rolling through. And, um, yeah, so between the combo of those two, I just – I became, like, one of the expert of guitar players. So I have really strong ties with all the guitar player magazines worldwide, and um, I got John Five. And that was before John Five had just had just left Marilyn Manson, but he then um, Zombie. He had the same manager as Rob uh, Andy Gold, who I love. And uh, finally, Rob said, "Hey, come do this one show." And so he did that. And then, then he's like, "Hey, you should have my publicist. She's so great." And then, so they like they. I get a text going, "Hey, do you want to work for RZ?" And I'm like. RZ. Oh my God, Rob Zombie. Sure, yes. No, no, no. Of course I don't. Yo, don't. Um, don't what. Well, I guess what it, it's incredible that you're working with all these high-profile people, and obviously that they're at a tremendous level of success, and you're working with them. Did you have? Did you feel inside that you you already were successful? Did you believe in your heart that you were already at a, a peak level of success, and that it was only going to be a matter of time? before you're going to pull into your experience other people that were at the same level the way you felt inside? Um, that's an interesting question. And the truth is, I don't think I ever thought of it that way. I always thought um, I'm really good, you know, not to be, you know, tooting the horn and patting the back and, you know, that. It's just I know that I'm very good and I'm very diligent and I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of integrity of how I how I work things. and. So with that, um, I think – I and I think my personality, like, some of these guys are just like big brothers. I mean, I know more stuff than I should know. And, and uh, but they're amazing. These are amazing humans. And I've been so super lucky. Um, so I, I went in with the confidence, and I, I just spoke up, you know. And I just said, this is who I am. I can provide you, you know, uh, here's, here's, here's what I can give. And, and they wanted what I could give because I have super deep pockets with all these major magazines. Uh, you know, magazines are kind of fading right now, but at the time, you know, uh, my, my dearest friends are the editor in chief of guitar world and guitar player magazine. And I can just say, Hey, can we cover this guy? Just, I don't care. Give me a quarter pay something, you know? And, these guys step up. They're just really great. I think it's, I think the relationships and the bonds that I created really put forth what I could give to the clients. And then they would tell each other, you know, oh my God, I got Nancy Sale. You too. Oh my God. Yeah, she's great. You got to have her, you know? And um, it's just the way it worked. I have, um, I've done a lot of, um, oh gosh, between a lot of different labels I've worked for. Um, and then uh, independent artists, and then you have um, festivals. 
um, different festivals and uh, just, yeah, a whole slew of people. It's well, been, like, so cool. I want to – when you are observing some of your clients on stage, I guess this is a two-part question. The first one is, of all of your clients, which one have you observed to have the most profound impact on a large crowd? And also, have you ever observed any of your clients that go on stage if they are in a very bad mood or if they're in a very good mood, if you find that that actually directly impacts the energy and the frequency of their music and in proportion actually impacts and affects the crowd? Yeah, I I rarely go to concerts in general, so the only time I do go is for my clients. And And when you're afforded... Obviously, these bigger arenas with some of these guys, because um, I've had also like Yes, Asia, those big arena rock guys, um, those kind of bands. Uh, we go out with sticks and that. So, you know, it does make a difference if it's always the first show, especially if you have an intricate show. So Rob has probably got the most intricate, amazing show. We've got monsters and pyro and just craziness and just amazing. And I, I, I watch Rob because I admire him a lot. And he's brilliant. He's <clears throat> very quiet and he is very courteous and um, and uh, respectful um, of what you do, meaning me. Um, so. I know, like, the first day, he's he's there making sure that show, when we roll through rehearsal and dress rehearsal, that we are perfect. And he, I can tell when he's not exactly as happy, but that's usually on the first day or two, and then everything falls into place. I think a little, I think, I think people get a little overwhelmed around him because he's very, because he is quiet, and he sits back and he observes. And, um... He's really interesting. So he he's a lot to to handle and deal with. Um you know, so it's kinda like, Oh, what does Rob want and you know, are we pissing him off or anything? And he doesn't get really mad or anything, but you know, people people are afraid of him. Not uh, you know, again, overwhelmed. Afraid's not really a great word, but I now making my first press release for him and I've been doing press releases. First one for him because he is a writer. I was just like, oh, God, this is going to sound stupid. I really like what I wrote. I think I'm never happy fully, but, you know. And he read it, and he redlined out one word only. And then he looked at everything I had lined up for him, and his comment to Andy was, she is really brilliant, I, I and I can see everything she's put into this. He goes, and I love it all. I might not do it all, but you know, she's pretty kick-ass. So wow, that was excited. awesome. It must be spelling cloud nine. Yeah, that was like, woo, phew. You think so re- I've written his... So I'm sorry. So I've written his bios. Um, he rarely has to correct anything. So that really makes you feel good. And, I mean, in, in, in the bigger picture, it's like, who cares, you know, if you have to fix something. But I get, I'm get, i very happy when people read it and they have – very minimal to no changes. And that's really where I try to go because I learn how my clients are. I could write zombie all day long and John five and Steve Vai and all these guys. I can, all my clients I've known, I know them so well that I can write them all day long and I can speak for them. And, and, uh, and sometimes I, if I do speak for them, I'll let them know what it is. And they go, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Cause I know what they're going to say. The voices, it's fantastic. So, and what have you learned? If you're going to say if there's one profound lesson that Rob Zombie taught you and one profound lesson that you think you taught Rob Zombie, what would you say uh, those lessons would be? Oh Talking about God. life lessons or any kind of lesson. Well, if we're choosing Rob, um, with Rob, he just – am I allowed to swear? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So with Rob – he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck. In other words, he does what he loves. So I don't care if it's a movie or if it's music or a new stage show. It's like 
you know, he's, he's, he says, uh, you know, this is what he said to me. I don't care if they like it. He goes, I, if you don't like what I do, then you don't have to look at it. You don't have to read it. You don't have to look at it. You have to watch it or whatever. I'm doing this because I'm gratefully have this opportunity and this is what I like and I'm hoping you like what I like. But if you don't, you know, that's okay too. And it's true, you know, just let go and, don't, I really don't care what other people think, and I don't spend my life worrying that way. And I think that's something that Rob projects a lot. He doesn't – he did at one time, you know, he used to do his on Facebook, and uh, he had somebody come on his Facebook, and they were very mean. And he just uh, – he says, uh, you know what she said? And I said, what? And he's like, she's saying, like, ah, Rob Zombie, why are you doing this? I hate your movies, da 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 and then he responded, and she she had a heart attack because he responded. He doesn't have the person that's paid. He, uh, you know, he at that time he responded himself, and he said, "Hey, wait, why she you said, you said she, 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 she physically had a heart attack." Why? Well, no, I mean oh. she's alive, but I mean like she's like one of those. Uh, oh no, Rob Zombie's answering me, and he's like, she's like, I'm so sorry, Rob. I was just so mad at myself, and I was hating myself, and I just took it out all on you. And Rob's like, "Oh my God!" He goes, "Well, then go, you know, go get therapy." No, he goes, <laughs> "That's my word." But you know, don't do that to other people. You know, go figure it out. But that's not cool. You know, and and so I think that from then forward, he's learned to like whatever. You know what? I I get to do this. I'm sorry if you don't like what I'm doing. But there's other things you can like somewhere else. So why are you on, you know, why are you on me? And I and I totally get what he means. It's like, why am I, you know, this isn't like, you know, we're doing something, you know, hurtful. It's just, it's a piece of art. You don't have to like every piece of art you come across. So, yeah, I'm cool. I'm very, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I do what I do. I do the best I can do. And I think, which is, you know, pretty appropriate for all my different clients and myself. And if you don't like it or you're just jealous, I think jealousy always rings in with people. And it's like, I, I don't know how to stop that for you. That's your problem. That's your problem to handle why you don't like that or me. I I, I like me. <laughs> That's all that counts. We think, well, we think you're pretty cool, Nancy. We think you're groovy. Like Out of Limits of Inner Truth gives you the full endorsement. <laughs> well, well, you're looking at – you said Rob's very confident. But if you're looking at some of your other musicians, uh, all types of musicians – there are, I imagine there's some that are very insecure, maybe even have a lot of self-hatred. How would you describe, is there any commonalities that you observe in musicians that are very self-confident and ones that have a tremendous amount of self-hatred as far as their creativity and their expressionism goes? Do you find that sometimes that people who are, who are loathing and hate themselves can actually come up with brilliant music? Or does it really depend on the talent of the individual? Does it, is it a non-factor from your perspective? Well, I think that I I have some clients that actually struggle with bipolar. Okay. Um, and so that also includes depression. But that also can make them much of an asshole. So it's kind of an odd thing. As I said, I, I, I know each of my clients individually, and I have to – as soon as one's on the phone and the other one pipes up, you know, it's kind of like you're switching gears constantly because you have to coddle some, some you don't, some you cheer on. But they they have um, – it's almost like a, a sad it's – a, it's a sad it's – a, it's, a, it's a beautiful tragedy with some of them. Um, they're talented. Um, they don't necessarily believe in themselves. Um, so they take up maybe drinking mm -hmm. and they get stuck. And I've lost several of these guys in the recent years, even to their addictions or, well, yes, to their addictions, sometimes past addictions, because it still kind of is in your body. And, um, yeah, it, they just are these beautiful tragedies, uh, all of them. And some that are confident, uh, they go out there and they're like, yeah, we're doing this and this is cool. And they're on it and they're not bipolar or anything, obviously. Um, they are, they're just so artistic and they just want to just 
resonate all this awesomeness, you know, and um, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's some that are just, they're just stuck. Actually, they get very stuck into who they used to be. And that's, that's also kind of sad because you used, yeah, you used to be big or you sold 500,000 albums and that's as big as you got, but you have very popular music. You can hear, um, uh, commercials, but they are just, they're the ones still trying to command the respect. Um, they're, they're still stuck. Um, and it's kind of sad because there's nothing you can do because that's like telling, you know, you're, you can't tell somebody certain things, you know, I mean, you can, but I don't think it works. Um, they don't take the constructive criticism very well. There's a brilliant, Talent manager, Hollywood manager. I love this gentleman so much, Bernie Brillstein. And I'll never forget one of his quotes. I'm pretty sure he, he said that talent never dies; it only sleeps. And some of these individuals that you've worked with that were really you know, fantastic or had a really strong following years ago, do you believe that once they've achieved something phenomenal, that something has to fundamentally change within them at a core level that that will prevent them from manifesting to their the success that they've had or do you feel that there are certain people who are only able to reach a certain peak and they were only maybe successful at that peak because of the surrounding era or the time that we're in because that particular music was popular in that particular era yeah I, I uh, Janie Lane used to live with me and um, not as a boyfriend he rented the room in the house <laughs> no. and he you know, he knew I didn't really drink or do anything and uh, he was you know struggling with sobriety a lot and so that's why Janie was here because he knew that I wouldn't push him. And he is so talented. And but there's this um, uh, with him and a couple others um, that are still with us. So I'm not going to name off, but um, they oh, it's almost like fighting themselves. Um, and they they know they can do this stuff, but then they feel like they can't and and you don't get anything else out of them and it's it's um it's weird and it's sad you know a lot of these guys now they go out now warrant still goes out they have a a beautiful replacement for Janie and um they go out still they play cherry pie they do it like like Janie he would get on stage and he would say and now the song that'll never die, you know, because he was told to write that kind of a song, which he did. And it's huge. And you hear it in commercials and you hear it everywhere. But he just hated that song. And that's another thing. I find that some of these guys really hate the one song that made them the biggest. And it's such a weird thing to me. Lemmy used to... Like, their big song was Ace of Spades from Motorhead. And Levy's like, oh, I don't want to bloody play Ace of Spades. I'll, you know, he'll do anything but Ace of Spades. That's he like, do three songs, let's say, for something special. Like, come on, Lemmy, everybody, because everybody expects that song. That's the, that's your key marker song. That's your big hit. That's like, not the, that's the only hit, but that's the one that, you know, Have there you ever- is a song. Have you ever told your clients to look? It's like no matter how bad things are, no matter how bad it gets, be thankful you're not Bobby McLaren, who's got that song. Don't worry, be happy. Apparently, that guy is he's he's like sick of it, and there he really oh has God. a bad. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh my God, no! But I should. That song alone for oh me my. makes like chalkboard. Oh, nails. the first time I heard it, I was done with it. But he's had to sing that song. Apparently, he's like it's like the worst thing that happened to him. So, uh, could you imagine having to sing that? Though? I can't imagine. Oh my goodness! Oh my god! Oh my goodness! And I have to say, and I don't know him, so I hope he's not listening. But I love, you know, Sting. Sting. If I hear Roxanne one more time, oh my god, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna like throat punch myself. I oh my can't god. do it. <laughs> Roxanne. Oh. Uh, yeah. Stop. There's yeah, there's certain songs that just make make me want to cry a lot when I have to hear it. 
So, yeah. Well, <laughs> what to come um, back to you, we, in your experience, because not only did you have two serious car accidents, what we talked earlier, and my saying is that you have multiple sclerosis. And to bring to our audience's attention is that I used to do PR for the National MS Society, and multiple sclerosis is known as a prime-of-life disease. It affects the brain, uh, optic nerves, and spinal cords, and it could really make your life very challenging. I was wondering if you could please talk about how you got diagnosed with MS, how it's affected your life, and how what did you learn from your experience in having it? Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> can't just answer. Uh, I can't just uh, say one question. I, I don't know. I have to... Okay, I'll just start from the beginning. Um, I want to say in 2007, I noticed some uh, cognitive issues. Um, and as it was going, the cognitive was getting worse to a point where I was having to describe things like it's furry and it meows. I could not say the word cat. And and for anybody listening, um, I... I am actually got a um, monthly C2 IQ and I'm Memza. So I have a strong command of the English language. That's why I do well in communications, well as a publicist. I'm pretty awesome with the words. And when I started fumbling for words and just stopping and going, oh, my God, you know the word, you know, you know the word. Uh, so I went to my intern and I said, hey, there's a problem. I want a brain scan. And said, well, I said, no, I don't, I'm not thinking like I got a big cancer tumor. I said, but there's something going on. I want to, I would like to have an MRI. And he says, okay. So in the meantime, I come back a month later and I said, hey, there's these shooting pains going up the back of my legs and it makes me just drop. I'm, I feel like I'm dying. It's like, it's like electrical. And he's like, oh. Uh, and I came back again going, okay, now my left eye, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm very, like, I remember how I said earlier, I pay attention to everything. So I pay attention to my body really closely. And so I'm watching all this weird stuff happening, and I still haven't gotten a scan. And so I'll just fast forward. Fast, a year and a half goes by, and I finally just said, look, um, my IQ is higher than yours, and you might have MD, and I only have PhD, but here's the deal. <laughs> this is a problem, and I don't accept this because I had gone to people, and they tried to push off the, um, hey, kitties, the kitties are fighting. Um, they tried to push off, oh, as you know, as you get older, you know, and you get all this information, like a computer, it's too full, and, you know, and you can't pull it out as fast. I'm like, I'm only 44 at that time. It's like, well, that's kind of bunk. You're a horrible doctor. So I would get that from other doctors. So anyway, I went to my spine surgeon, and this is the guy who repaired my, my neck and everything from when I got in a car accident. So I said, I said, hey, doc, I want to, you know, I want my brain scanned. And um, so that's now we're in like almost like 2009. Yeah, 2009 at this point. And um, I said, he says, sure. He goes, let's, you know, let's just check your neck, um, the work I did, and then let's uh, check your whole brain. And it came back with um, multiple punctates, um, 11 lesions to the subcortical and to blah, 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 blah. And I just said, either you're telling me I have Alzheimer's, because when it's in the subcortical, um, the lesions are different from Alzheimer's to MS, but subcortical areas where Alzheimer's um, lesions usually are located. And so I said, well, you're telling me I have MS or I have, you know, um, here we go, MS moment. Uh, I have, <laughs> I was like, um, uh, or you have uh, uh, Alzheimer's. And I said, I don't think it's Alzheimer's. So he's like, yeah. So he sent me over to um, an amazing neurologist. He's one of the top in the nation. And he put me through another MRI that was more um, magnetically. Um, it's, it was just more like it was gonna it was gonna read better, like really amazing. And I and he came back and he said, "Got it." And I was like, "Okay, I got it." And uh, and um, 
I said, would you have seen this a year and a half ago? And he says, oh, yeah. So he knew who the doctor was that I was having troubles with, and he called him up and called him on his shit, basically. and said, hey, I got your patient here. And uh, you could hear the backpedaling. But um, so since 2009, I want to say October 2009, um, I have had a proper diagnosis of the MS. And it's primary progressive multiple sclerosis. And that is a rarer form that 10% of the whole vast majority would have. So when people say, well, what are you on and what do you take? It's like nothing. One, they don't make medications. Two, I wouldn't want to be on any of those medications. I read the efficacy reports, and this is really crap. Um, you know, where 17 to maybe 30%, it might help you. And for primary progressive, there is just none that they focus on. So... Yeah, I, I do it with a, because I'm very vegan, and I'm okay. working into going raw vegan, because raw vegan has helped so many people with MS that have been in wheelchairs and beds and everything, and uh, they're out of chairs, and they're running. And um, so I'm going into the raw vegan stage, but it's going to take me a minute. So well, I just so got to figure out how to how to make it faster. So because you have a, <laughs> because you have MS... And it's posed, seems like it's posed in extra because, I mean, the, the average person, if the person doesn't have them, as how, how has that forced you to think about your life and career differently? Well, so, um, back at band camp. No. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, that was so bad. Um, one day at band camp. Um, I want to say in 2011, every December, I get my brain scans, and we check to make sure nothing's grown or anything weird or whatever. So in 2011, I got my brain scans done, and then we always read them about the 4th of just, uh, January. And this time he says, uh, yeah, you're you're stable right now. He goes, but you got something else that's growing. And I said, oh, brain tumor? He said, yeah. I said, okay, cool. What do we do next? You know, and <laughs> I just, like I said, there's nothing else I can do but keep going forward. You can't, you can't sit and so I said, let's go look at it. So back to my awesome spine surgeon, Dr. Gil Tepper. He happened to have, uh, have one of the best brain surgeons as, um, I guess they used to be roommates way back when, but Dr. Dan Kelly, who's in charge of the uh, John Wayne Cancer Society, as well as the Brain Tumor Center of St. John's um, Hospital. And he's a big-time brain surgeon. So I went to him. And he goes, yeah, you you brain tumor. Um, it's grown a little bit, so let's just monitor you because it's in a precarious place, which is really dead center. No pun intended. Dead center of the brain, so it's closer to the pituitary, and it's close enough where if you know, because they have to do this all through this weird. It's just a two-man team to go in there with these little knives and stuff, and. Um, he goes, if I ever nicked your pituitary, like you're screwed. And I'm like, well, crap. He goes, but right now it's just kind of swollen up. So, so I, I get all this information, and um, I happen to be at Steve Stevens' house. And yes, I'm name dropping, folks. Steve Stevens, uh, guitar player Billy Idol, he's like family to me. And um, I'm sitting there talking to his wife, and Steve was uh, working behind his um, boards and stuff. His his uh, studio's in the center of their living room, basically. And um, I just said, you know what? I, I just have to tell somebody because you kind of, it's not like the easiest thing you want to keep to yourself. And I just said, I've been also, i got a brain tumor. Steve's just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, what don't you have at this point? He says, so we gotta, we got to try to help you. You've been doing things for us for 30 years. It's time to help you. And so they started putting together a thing um, with Billy Morrison of Billy Idol, who started Camp Freddy, and Camp Freddy's very infamous. Um, uh, it's, it's all these different big rock stars, and they, they just play and do things to help people um, when they have the time to do so. And so they started putting it together, but then I was preparing then for another spine surgery, and then Billy Idol had to go out on tour. So at the end of 2012, um, I'm sitting in a neck brace and I'm like, oh my God, I really haven't been able to work. So 
I just said, hey, Steve, do you guys still want to do this? Because having some hardship time, you know, now. And um, he's like, yeah. So we ended up by, so that's 2012. So by March 2013, the first Rock Against MS show was put on, but for me. Um, and when the world found out, because it had to go out into the media where the money was going, ah, that was the end of kind of my career. Because really nobody wanted to hire me. Oh. Yeah. Right. I think they didn't think I could do the job. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can. Why don't you? I think they also maybe thought that, um, I don't know. Maybe, I, I, I can only sit and hypothesize as to what, what through their mind, like, oh, no. What if she gets sick in the middle of this and doesn't get it done right and we've already paid her money? I, I don't know. And, you know, it's like, I get it, but talk to me first, you know. But, yeah, so it pretty much ended my career, so. I spent like about another year and a half um, going through all my funds. So that's so MS actually is one of the most, and I've had cancer, so it oh is God, one of the most horrible. Uh, uh, uterine cancer. Um, that was good. It's okay. That was in 2001. Um, wasn't baking bread in that oven anyhow. So you know, let's <laughs> like just take it out. But. Um, over any any disease, actually, MS is one of the most expensive because you live trapped in a body that no longer functions, and it just it's it's a it's horrific. Um, and like Annette Funicello had primary progressive MS. She got it about the same time I did. And she actually died on my birthday oh. in 2013. So that was weird. On April 8th, she passed away from MS. And um, so, oh my God. You know, it's like, it's just it's weird. Always, and, you know, and even though so that's you, kind of. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm saying that, you know, it's, it's all you're talking about MS and how you deal with it. But one of the first things that we originally met was we were talking about um, animal rights advocacy. And I love what you're doing, that um, you're really going out there and work. You really rescue a lot of animals. Can you please talk about your vision and why you're so passionate about animal rights and your vision for the animal sanctuary? Yeah, so uh, I want to say in, uh, I don't know, 2000, 2002, 2000, 2001, I, I don't know, I was online and somehow I found Best Friends for Animals in Kanab, Utah. And I thought, oh, this is pretty magically cool. And uh, so I thought, well, we really need one here in California. And um, we need something because it's just awful. Uh, it's awful everywhere, but you know when you you know you go to where you live first usually, right? So, and so I started checking things out with my attorney and my CPA and putting some stuff together, and um, and uh, I finally um, had to do a lot of work because uh, because if my clients were just off the charts. I mean, they were just going gangbusters. So I was like. Crap, I shelved it up until about 2008. And I went out to Kanab, Utah to do the Start Your Own Sanctuary because I was sitting in my office looking out the window. I'm in a canyon. So I'm looking out the window at the trees, and there's a, you know, there's a coyote across the street hanging out. And I thought, God, you know, I don't want to be slinging Ozzy Osbourne at 80. Nothing wrong with that. It's just I don't want to be doing it. I want to retire. I want to the animals so um i did that and um so i came back um i had met sarah who's our vice chair and um we started going forward and put together everything and got our nonprofit status and um then we uh started saving animals and it's uh it's really kind of a disheartening thing at first because you're thinking, oh, all for one and one for all, and oh my God, we're going to save animals and we are going to kick ass and it's going to be woohoo, you know, and uh, we're part of that kind of team where everybody's, you know, saving animals and oh no, boy, no, there are uh, some people, um, not so much. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you say not so much. Uh, you see that the people who maybe they they appear to have good intentions, but a, what, 
Like assholes? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, it's or it's all about them. Like they want the credit, the credit. And I'm like, I don't care who gets the credit. I just want it done, you know. Um, our work will speak for itself. You don't need to go look at me, look at me, and pound your chest. So we started, and I and I saw everybody. So you start getting into these circles. And I started watching people, and they're pulling these pit bulls, and they're having all these lovely stories. And and um, so I pull a pit bull. He was a year and a half old, and he had been used as bait. It was gut-wrenching. And holy cow, was he cray-cray. He was so crazy. Um, and so we got funding, and we put him into training. And he <clears throat> wasn't doing well with training. So, um, but he really liked his his trainer. So we did a buyout where the trainer would um, keep him for his life, you know. And um, so it was like really large chunk of change. Um, but he got to live and we're like, well, in one way, yay, because he, he definitely would have been put down in a heartbeat. And uh, his name was Tater Antonio Tot. Tater Tot. <laughs> so he was my first pity and then um well, what drives you what is it about uh, why are you so passionate about working with animals and saving animals i mean there are billions of people on the planet what makes what drives you particularly to to have such compassion for animals to want to be vegan and uh, to, you know, to want to help animals well they're voiceless you know and they rely on us so i think it's pretty disgusting that people would harm them in any capacity and you know uh just watching these hurricanes not to be judgy uh i'm going to be i'll, be, I'll judge them. i'll judge for you anyone if you left your animal out the hurricane if you did that tethering them what's the horrible fuck? who does that right and i'm just I'm, I'm pretty disgusted and i get it but you know what you put your dog in the car any other time why don't you just shove them in there too i mean i get it it's scary and whatever we're in a level uh, we're in a level four fire zone here. I've been evacuated several times. There's not one moment that I would have thought to leave one one body behind. No one left behind. And they have choices, and they should be able to, you know, be rehabbed, and they should have cool homes, and they should be loved. And you know, it's they didn't ask to be feral. They didn't ask to be anything. They, you know, came because people are irresponsible. And so I'm trying to be part of the team that shows people that they need to be responsible. And, uh, you know, some people are like, it's just a dog. It's just a cat. It's like, no, it's just a life. Yeah. And it's a life. So would you like me to do this to you? I wouldn't like it in my life. I think that's a, a horrible, horrible thing. And... You know, and then you go, then you toss it into like, let's say, the shelters. And, and shelter is such a poor word because shelter, you assume shelter is you're going to be comforted and and kept safe. And so these shelters with the quotey fingers, they're garbage. They're not shelters. They're like the killing ground. And so I think that everybody should have a chance. That's why we also specialize in very special needs cats right now and dogs that that not even rescues take because they are expensive and but but you know we've rehabbed many and and it was worth every penny oh i guess awesome uh it's really really awesome and again just to remind everyone about your website it's uh, it's fur feather fur and feather animal sanctuary furfeather.org um yeah so you have a few more minutes but for this particular life incarnation, what do you think have been two of your most profound um, lessons, or do you think that you've actually come? Do you think that you've come here and learned what you're supposed to learn for this physical life incarnation? Well, I would like to think so. <laughs> I think that um, I think I know it all. No, I think <laughs> <laughs> I am pretty sure I've got a good grip on. It. And really, when it comes down to it, it's what's wrong and or right, you know. And and I think that's where people end up recycling and coming back to finish because they haven't gotten 
stats yet. It's like, it's really, there's, you know, wrong or right. I'm a very black and white person. I don't have a lot of gray areas for me. So it's either this or that. And what's right is right. And what's right is saving lives. And, you know, and, and for me, I'm choosing animals, you know. Um, other people choose children or whatever they choose. And, and good, yay. You know, everybody <laughs> should have an option. Elderly. Ah, elderly abuse is not okay. That pisses me off, too. Yeah, I get a little heated over these. <laughs> I, I think that I have, uh, I think that I've mastered quite a bit. I have a lot of these discussions with Steve Vai. He's very metaphysically imbalanced and meditates a few hours a day and we have these great talks about different planes and what goes on when, you know, we leave the, our physical, you know, the skin that strapped onto us. And, um, yeah. I, I think I think I don't think I'll be coming back, but you never know. I might have missed something. Maybe I'm being too cocky right now. And they're like, Ah, Nancy, you're too cocky. You're going back. But I I think I got a pretty good grip. Good grip. Well, I mean, look look at all the things you've experienced. I mean, just in the course of this interview alone, you've gotten hit by two. You've gotten hit uh, two major car accidents, cancer, MS. You've worked with some of the biggest musicians. You you've saved a ton of animals. Experienced unprecedented levels of success, life experiences. I mean, you re- it seems like you, you got a tremendous uh, amount of uh, great life experiences here. So, I guess keep on seeking them out. That's uh, all. Like keep doing. You gotta keep on trucking. <laughs> like they said in the seventies, keep on trucking, baby. Miss Nancy B. Sale, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I thought your uh, interview was it was fantastic. A lot of great lessons. A lot of great experiences. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. To learn more about Miss B. Sale, please go to our website, uh, several websites, at furfeather.org. Next one is vqpr.com. Next one is rockagainstms.com. Miss Sale. Org. Oh, .org. Rockagainstms.org. Yep, and, uh, yep. Miss thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, Ms. Nancy B. Sale. And special thanks, as always, to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Taking care, and thank you so much for listening. Well, we're on the cusp of that magical time of year again. You know, that uh, magical time of year where they play commercials and say, eh, you got to go out. If you love someone, buy them a toaster. Buy them this piece of crap. Show them you love them for Christmas by buying them this piece of crap. Here's an idea. Instead of getting someone you love a piece of crap for Christmas this year, why not get them a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza? Miss Constance Tellis, or Miss Carrie O'Connor from the Out of Limits of Truth Radio Show. Give them the gift of insight into themselves because they're going to return whatever piece of crap you buy them. They don't, they're not excited with the gift you're giving them. No one is. No one likes their presence. They just smile for the cameras and say, hey, they're lying. You give them the gift of a psychic reading with Miss Carrie O'Connor. You learn more about her by going to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Carrie can read auras. She can look into your field, communicate with the dead. I mean, communicating with the dead over a piece of crap present you're going to give that they're going to return anyway, that's a much better deal. You can get them a reading with this Lisa Kaza, a psychic empath, amazing, direct to the point. She'll provide insight on a person who's trying to find a job, trying to find romance in their life. That's a great, great gift. Or you can get them a reading with Miss Lisa, with Miss Constantellis, the Astro Phenom. Get their charts done. Find out what 2018 is going to bring for them. I'm telling you, you get them a reading with either one of these uh, amazing ladies from the Outer Limits of Energy Radio Show, and they're going to be happy. No joke, no return, nothing. Get the greatest gift you can, a reading with these individuals, and forego the piece of crap this year. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. 
Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 